I ask my team why all the time. It's like one of my top five phrases when they present something. But why? 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 Because you have to ask yourself that because we shouldn't just be doing things to do them. We should be doing things for a purpose. Hi, my name is Baba, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Bye Baba podcast, Out of Office, featuring unconventional career paths with influential stories. This podcast aims to rewrite the script in which careers are discussed and how success is defined. Hosted by our very own senior creative manager, Jennifer Pazzioni. With her international background in editorial and an unconventional career path herself, she asks the most thoughtful and interesting questions. Join us as we sit down to hear firsthand the journeys, lessons learned, and advice from creative forces who manifested their own way. Today, I am out of office with Alison Finazzo, a creative marketing professional whose career has taken her to food and beverage titans, where she worked on a number of successful socially-led campaigns, including Dilly Dilly and, more recently, Impossible to Hate. Finazzo currently oversees the marketing team as brand director at Vita Coco, the world's leading coconut water brand. Hi, Allison. Thank you for joining us on Out of Office. Thanks for having me. We always start this podcast the same way with the question, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I believe for my first grade career day, I dressed up as a teacher. In retrospect, I would have been a horrible teacher. (laughs) I'm very impatient um, and a very serious perfectionist. To put that into perspective, I used to rewrite my notes in college so that my handwriting looked good. I told this to someone the other day and they were absolutely horrified. But no, in all seriousness, I've, I've always loved teaching people and nurturing others. So I guess in some aspect, being a leader has an element of teaching. It. I'm wondering if there's a correlation. I also wanted to be a teacher when I was younger. Also was like a severe perfectionist that my mother told me I used to, like when I was two, three years old, She gave me my first bottle of whiteout because when I would color, if I went outside of the lines, I would have like a fit. And so she (laughs) introduced me to whiteout so that I could clean up (laughs) my work. We are cut from the same cloth. That is absolutely something I would have done. There has to be a correlation between teaching and (laughs) perfectionism. I think so. I used to rearrange my crayons in color Color order. order. And I recently found out that my mom gave my crayons to my niece. And I was a little upset about it at first. <laughs> what does that say about me? <laughs> if you weren't doing what you're doing now, do you think you would be teaching or doing something entirely different? Um, I was thinking about this recently, actually. I, I still do have a passion for teaching. I think probably would have parlayed that into something in the creative field. Um, I've always loved creative. I sometimes try and fashion myself as a copywriter, even though I definitely am not. Um, but to give you an anecdote, I've always said my dream job, if I had the choice to do anything in the world, would be to be the person who names the nail polish colors at Essie because I love That's the puns. Ones. Hipponema, Sand Tropez, they get me every single time. So if someone from Essie is listening to this podcast, please hit me up if this job exists. Um, I think something in the creative field if I had to, if I wasn't doing what I was currently doing. Do you feel growing up, whether it was through 
family or school or society friends do you feel that you were taught to kind of follow a more conventional career path? Not necessarily um, in the sense that no one really forced me into a specific career track. But what my parents did do was really encourage me and support me to find what I loved. And when I found what I loved, to pour my heart into that. So my father was self-made. He made a really amazing career for himself from nothing. So I was always inspired to do the same um, and spend the time to figure out what my passions were and how I could funnel those passions into something that would allow me to create good work. So he always instilled in me Um, You need to love what you're doing to be able to do great work. And if you lose that, find something new and don't be afraid to take risks and don't be afraid to move on to the next thing because you spend so much of your time, more time than you spend with your significant other, your friends at the workplace. And if you don't genuinely enjoy showing up to work every day, then it's time to reassess. I love that. I think that's so entirely true. I also think it's so rare to have family supporting you in that sense and it it really is such a gift to to kind of have that backing it makes you a bit more fearless in a way I feel to to pursue things absolutely my parents um, always said to me if this doesn't feel right or if you need to take a break or if you need to um, come home you know as an extreme you can do that and we'll be here and we'll support you so I know a lot of people don't have the benefit or the ability to do that. So I feel extremely lucky. And I think that's definitely been an influence in how I've managed my career today. Has that influenced you and how you manage a team, do you feel like? I think so, in that I always try and encourage my team to take risks, to trust their instincts, and, um, you know, to empower themselves to make decisions with all the information that they have. Because, at the end of the day, what is the absolute worst that can happen? 99% of the time, it's going to be okay. So I think we all as a society are very afraid, have a lot of fear of failure, but failure is 100% inevitable and success can be fleeting. So I think we need to make ourselves a little bit more comfortable with the fact that failure will make us stronger. When you're facing a big decision or a career change or some sort of shift in your life, whether there's potential failure associated. What are some things that you do to push through that? I would be lying if I said that I didn't consult every single person in my life. Thank you to everyone who has um, worked through a decision with me along the way. There's been a lot of them. But I I think I do try and assess um, what's the best that can happen, what's the worst that can happen, and if the worst does come to fruition, how am I going to get through that? And knowing that it's going to make me stronger on the other end. But I definitely do make decisions by consensus. I'm very guilty of that. From packing for a trip to a career change. How did you come to the role of marketing director at Vita Coco? So it's a bit of a long story, so bear with me. Um, I grew up with two older sisters who were both very goal-oriented, very competitive. So from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be like them, and I wanted to compete with them and be better than them, if we're being honest. Um, So when I was in college, I came across the opportunity to join the Vitacoco team, which was a company I'd never heard of. It had recently started in the capacity of a brand ambassador. So being one of the um, folks who was handing out samples on college campus and trying to recruit 
the college consumer into this brand. So my friends thought I was crazy at the time. Um, How are you going to juggle this with all your schoolwork and going to parties and all the things that college kids are supposed to care about? Um, What is this coconut water stuff? It tastes weird. But I saw it as an opportunity to make some money on the side and also network because I was always looking forward constantly. What's the next thing? What was I going to do when I graduated? I knew I didn't want to be in banking. So how I was going to find how was I going to find a career in marketing? So I actually loved the experience. I met a lot of really amazing people when I was down in Miami. That's where I went to school. And I got the opportunity to join the team in New York in headquarters as an intern after I graduated. So the team was really small then. I think it was four people on the marketing team, maybe even three. And I was an intern and I stayed late every single night. I showed up early. I put my head down. I did everything they asked of me and more because I knew that it was my own destiny. And if I worked hard and if I proved that I wanted to be a part of this team, then um, I was going to show them that I could be a strong contributor to the organization. So I joined the team full time. I rose through the ranks of the marketing organization by doing. So again, I put my head down and I did the work. Um, an example of that, we we were a really small company and we didn't have a big creative agency. We didn't have a ton of design resources. So I taught myself how to do Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign, albeit poorly, but so that I could be um, a contributor to the team again. And I was designing, I think, our point of sale materials, maybe even some billboards, which is kind of scary in retrospect um, because I was a team player and I wanted them to know that I was in it for the long haul. So another thing that I think was really critical to my experience at Vitacoco was um, I always made an effort to build really strong relationships and be the type of person that others felt comfortable and wanted to work with. And I think that's something that women do really, really well is the ability to have empathy and to listen and to hear other perspectives and not always just be so single-minded. And so I don't want to say selfish, but, um, you know, in it for just yourself because I think that's that's key to collaboration and key to successful workplace environments. So I built really strong relationships um, along the way. And then after five years of being really in the trenches of this brand that was growing like crazy, like a rocket ship, I decided that I wanted um, a slightly different experience with a bigger company. So I pursued one of my other passions, which was beer, and went to Anheuser-Busch. And one of the first things that struck me was wow, this is a massive culture shock. So going from um, Vitacoco, which was very familial, people first, passion first, um, always having to punch above our weight and out smart, out hustle the competition to a place that was very established, um, very internally competitive and very results driven. Shook me a little bit. I did a lot of introspection and, and reflecting on me as a you know how I manage myself in the workplace and I saw that a lot of people in my new environment were so confident they had this unflappable confidence and I was always the type of worker that would put my head down and do the work and let the work speak for themselves and you know in school wasn't the type of person that would immediately raise their hand and give an answer because I always wanted to think about things first and I wanted to be very very thoughtful with my responses and not just speak to speak so reconciling how can I get ahead and how can I maintain my own authenticity and not change how I am was definitely um, challenging so 
after three years of working on some amazing projects, some really big campaigns that I'm so proud to have been a part of, um, I decided, or not really I decided, I reconnected with my old boss at Vitacoco, who I had remained really close with. And over many, many glasses of champagne, way too many glasses of champagne, I think I called out sick the next day for the first time in my career because I felt so horrible. Uh, she sold me on coming back to Vitacoco at a time that was really pivotal in the company's trajectory. We were deciding um, at that point to go from being a single brand company to a portfolio company. So I adore the CEO of Vitacoco, Mike Kerbin, um, and I really you know, believed in his vision and I wanted to be part of that because going back to what I said before about wanting and needing to feel passionate about the work that you're doing to enjoy showing up every day is so important to me. From your experience, from intern to marketing director within the same company, what advice can you offer interns today? I would give the advice that opportunities really won't just come to you. You have to work so hard for them and you have to put in the time and the effort. Um, you have to be tenacious. You have to be hungry. You have to seek out the opportunities. So that could mean staying late with your boss for an hour. That could mean um, asking someone for a coffee to pick their brain about what they do and how you can potentially learn from them. That could mean raising your hand in a meeting when you're slightly uncomfortable. Maybe you're among senior leaders in the organization and they don't know you. That means having a perspective. If you can do all of those things, um, you're going to set yourself up for success. And I'd say when I look for new talent or people to join my team, I always evaluate them through the lens of can this person be a future leader? And that means having the right drive, having the right kind of just need to succeed and not bulldozing your way through other people. Would you say the same advice goes for those who pursue internships that maybe have an expiration date? Maybe they're three months long and they actually don't have a clear trajectory within that company, but that characteristic of what it takes, yeah. uh, what stands out as an intern would still apply where they go after that. It's definitely trickier when there is a shelf life for the opportunity, but think about the relationships that you build. You know, you have a really great conversation with someone, let's say you're at a magazine with an editor, that person will remember you and you can always convert those relationships into future opportunities. So maybe there won't be, you know, a, a clear path within that existing organization, but it can definitely lead to something else. And networking is so key in this industry. It's who you know, you know, and how you can use those relationships to your advantage and work together and build really amazing things. So I'd say the people part of it is critical. A question we receive a lot um, as an agency from our community is today, how can you authentically network? What would you say is your best That's technique? a great question. Um, and for someone who doesn't authentically network because although I'm a very social person, I definitely am introverted. It doesn't come that naturally to me. You just have to do it in a way that's manageable for you. So that doesn't mean you need to show up at an event every single night of the week, but challenge yourself to do it once a month. And when you do it once a month, then you get a little bit more comfortable with it and you can do it more often. So I think you have to find a way to network that's digestible for you and feels right for you and doesn't make you too uncomfortable, but 
Also, being uncomfortable is a good thing sometimes because you have to learn a lot about yourselves and yourself and force yourself out of your comfort zone. So I think just do it in bite-sized chunks. Definitely. I think that's a very kind and manageable way to go about it. Because it can be very overwhelming. Absolutely. Also, people can sense if you are not feeling super comfortable or if you're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. I think you can also, and, and something that I found, is prepare yourself for it. Do your research. Find questions that you should ask when you're networking that make you sound more interesting or set up a conversation that you can speak really authentically about versus, you know, showing up at an event and standing next to someone and saying, so where are you from? What do you do? Because small talk can expire really quickly. You recently oversaw the rebranding of the 15-year-old brand Vita Coco. What was this process like? It was definitely one of the most fun, rewarding, and challenging projects I've ever worked on. I feel extremely honored that I was part of the team to lead it. Um, Vitacoco is such an iconic brand that we needed to be very careful and delicate with the changes that we did make. And so I think how I would describe the process is starting with the fact that Vitacoco is a founder-led company. And the two founders, Mike and Ira, were, of course, intimately involved in the original design of the packaging and the brand 15 years ago. I actually think it was Ira's girlfriend at the time who designed the packaging. So getting these two comfortable with the fact that their baby, like when you're a founder of a company, it's your baby, might look a little different in the future was a tall order. So that means that we had to be extremely collaborative. I kept them in the loop with all the key decisions. Mike's in the office. So, you know, we were evaluating things together on a daily basis. And there were definitely some tiffs and some come to Jesus moments. But I think having respect for the people working on the project and the vision and um, knowing what the potential of the project could be led to the best possible outcome. So projects like this need to be extremely collaborative and that means sometimes there can be emotions involved but I think that's a good thing because that makes the work better and that makes you ask the hard questions. When is it evident or necessary for a brand to reconsider rebranding in your opinion? It's very tempting as a brand marketer in a new role to want to make your mark quite immediately and oftentimes the most tangible way to do that is by changing the most visible element of the brand, which is the brand's identity or the packaging. But that's a really dangerous rabbit hole to go down. I'd say you need to start with doing your research and talking to your consumers, your existing consumer and who you want your consumer to be. Ask them the questions. Ask them, what does this packaging communicate to you? Do you understand the product proposition? Is it communicating quality? Does it stand out to you? Does this make you want to be part of the world? If the answer is no, then you need to reevaluate. And we got to a point where we weren't, you know, scoring as high on those measures as we would want to. So we thought it was time for a change. But um, I think people also need to realize in today's culture, which moves so fast, trends move so fast, um, if you don't evolve, you're going to be left behind. So Change is not a bad thing. Evolving is not a bad thing if you do it in a way that feels right and authentic to your brand. Being dialed into what your consumers want, what they need, what they expect is so critical. And that could be, you know, six months from now. That could be 12 years from now, 15 years from now. Um, I think really understanding and looking at things through a consumer lens is how you're going to yield the best work. Was it difficult to get people within the company on board 
for a rebranding after 15 years? No, actually. I thought it would have been more difficult. I think the most difficult piece was getting the founders comfortable with it because they are it's their baby. Um, but they were definitely open to it and, and excited about the potential of the project. I'd say there's a lot of fear in the process because if you're not careful, you can jeopardize, compromise the findability and, and recognizability of the packaging. And there's a really strong consumer base there that love the way your brand looks, love your brand identity. So you need to be careful that you don't compromise that. Um, so we took a lot of measures to make sure that we were making slight nuances that would elevate the pack and modernize the brand and allow our brand to look consistent across every single touch point because we know that a brand is not just the packaging, right? It's what the website looks like and what our social feed looks like and how the brand looks on merchandise and our packaging. So I think in the past and one of the one of the, you know, challenges we had and things we wanted to solve was making sure that we had consistency across the board, especially as the brand continues to innovate. And we see um, Vitacoco in new formats like sparkling, which is coconut water, sparkling water, and flavors. We see it on our pressed product, which is coconut water with coconut cream. So all these things like need to look slightly different, but all feel like they're coming from one brand. So that was a challenge. The second piece was... Um, you know, Vitacoco, while very, very much a big brand and very established, and you see it distributed in a lot of big stores, um, still puts so much care and craft into every single product that is produced. We source our coconuts from family farms throughout the tropics. We have programs in place um, to enhance the communities where we source our coconuts. We build schools in the Philippines. We have farmer development and training programs. So we wanted to find a way to communicate um, on this big brand that we are actually quite small. And we we treat our, you know, our producers and our supply chain like family. So that was another piece that we thought was really important to communicate on the pack. For brands who are new to launch or even in the pursuit of their own rebranding, how crucial would you say is packaging and the overall interpretation of the brand. Especially for a brand like Vitacoco, that's quite mainstream at this point. Um, packaging is our number one source of awareness. So it's really important that it works very hard for us. For other brands that are just developing, think about the fact that we're in the attention economy. Consumers' attention is so valuable and so hard to get. So it's very likely that someone is skipping your ad, scrolling past your ad, walking past your billboard, not going to your activation. When can you guarantee that, that you have their attention? When for three to five seconds at max, they're standing in front of a shelf or scrolling on their Instagram feed and trying to decide what products they want to pick off the shelf or off the feed. Um, if it doesn't pop, if it doesn't captivate, if it doesn't communicate your product proposition, and if it doesn't make someone want to opt in to your world and spend you know, one to $10 on your package, then it's not working hard enough. Can we talk about the power of instinct for a moment? In terms of marketing, you recently referenced the ability to trust your instinct. How important do you think this is for quick response marketing, especially today? Instinct is such a powerful tool, especially in marketing. I think we sometimes forget that marketing is finding ways to connect with consumers and Consumers are people, and we are consumers, and it can be quite simple because as people, we want to be 
entertained. We want to smile. We want to laugh. We want to be surprised. We want to be engaged with and not spoken at. So especially in quick response marketing, I think putting yourself in the shoes of the consumer and humanizing your brand and acting like a person is so important. When you have a matter of minutes and sometimes seconds to respond, there's no other way to evaluate than like you would if you were a person making a decision. And for me, that's what's the best that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? If the worst happens, can my brand live with that calculated risk? How do you break through the noise and keep your brand relevant when there is so much going on? Take risks. So I'll give you an example of something that we did this summer. We had a campaign called Impossible to Hate that was all about communicating the taste of our new pressed coconut flavor. We know that a lot of consumers don't like the taste of coconut water. It's polarizing, but they do like the taste of coconut. So we created this product that simply adds coconut cream to coconut water and tastes like what you would expect when you hear coconut, like an Almond Joy. So the tagline was impossible to hate. So the day of the campaign, we went on Twitter and reached out to the top 150 people who had ever said anything negative about coconut water, from coconut water tastes like sock water to things that I will not say on air because they're extremely creative. So we struck up a conversation with um, this man named Tony and asked him to try pressed coconut. And he immediately clapped back and said, I would rather drink your social media person's pee than your coconut water. So as a small team, we were like, "Okay, we can back down. We can stop engaging. This guy is clearly not friendly. Or we can stand up for ourselves and we can serve it back to him. And so we thought about the best that could happen. We thought about the worst that could happen. And we went for it. And the only way we could do that was because... We have a very strong sense of the brand's ethos, what we stand for, the brand's personality, and therefore we're able to trust our instinct because we know what's right for the brand and what we want people to take away from that message. And pretty immediately, consumers started celebrating us. That's amazing that you clapped back at this guy, that you took a risk. And it was that moment that I was like, wow, we need to take more risks. We need to do things that are outside of our comfort zone as a brand, just like we need to do as people, because at the end of the day, we all just want to connect, right? So that was a really amazing moment for us to find a way to connect with a consumer and a consumer that is so hard to connect with because they're making a lot of their decisions on social media. And it's so hard to break through on social media because there's so much noise. So I think be unexpected, take risks, um, zig when others zag like do it differently and you're not gonna hit gold every single time but maybe one one out of a hundred you will how can brands clap back and stick up for themselves without alienating customers i think be authentic to the brand don't just jump on a trend to jump on a trend if you have a moment that gives you an opportunity to communicate your brand's purpose and and show people what you stand for and it feels really authentic to you and you can defend it, then I'd say go for it. If you're just trying to be controversial and provocative for the sake of being provocative, then I'd say you probably need to rethink it. There's a level of authenticity to it. There's a You can't do it unless, unless it's authentic, 100%. With social media, brands now receive almost immediate, not to mention widely public feedback on their marketing efforts and campaigns. Do you feel this affects marketing today in a way? It should. 
So back in the day, to have a direct conversation with your consumers, you didn't have many options. It was mostly, let's say, through a focus group format. You're bringing people into a conference room and you as a marketer is, are looking at them through a two-way mirror. Someone else is asking them questions and they're post-rationalizing their answers. So you're not getting that real clear feedback. Today with social media and especially on conversational platforms like Twitter, you have the opportunity to have a direct one-on-one two-way conversation with your consumer, someone who's not your consumer, um, which is a pretty incredible opportunity and and one that I don't think we're harnessing as well as we should because it's a little scary. If you have a conversation or or do something that is perceived negatively, you have a very vocal community of people who are condemning you. If you do something and it's received positively, you have a very vocal community of people who are celebrating you. So I think it's very scary and we're all still trying to figure out what the right way to engage is. But again, I think there's this trend of brands really humanizing themselves and being authentic and acting like a person because that's relatable to a consumer. So finding more opportunities to do that, I I think all marketers should seek out. Do you feel that as a whole, we haven't found that balance yet? Like there's still, especially with it being so quick, so public, so response-oriented, it seems there's two ends of the spectrum, and one is fear marketing, in which they're trying not to do something that's going to bring too much attention or too much backlash just in case, so you're kind of tiptoeing. And then on the other end, there is let's be more inclusive, let's speak to the issues, let's do, but coming from a place of inauthenticity and then getting called out for that. Do you feel that there's still not everybody has mastered that middle ground? Yes. And it's tough when you are trying to be partisan conversation. So it could be political, it could be issue based. And I think it all goes back to authenticity. Like if it's authentic from your brand and it it is related to your brand purpose, then it should feel right to your consumers and they should feel like they can expect to hear that from you. But If you've never spoken or partaken in conversations about those issues before, you have to ask yourself, why now? Is it just to be part of the conversation or is it because we really have a point of view on it? Having a really strong why behind what you're saying and what you're putting out there. I ask my team why all the time. It's like one of my top five phrases when they present something. But why? 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 Because you have to ask yourself that because... Um, you know, we shouldn't just be doing things to do them. We should be doing things for a purpose. And sometimes I think everything is so quick today and so fast track oriented. You sometimes forget to pause and ask yourself why on many things in life, small things, big things, career related, life related. I think that's a really great thing as a leader to instill in your team to get them into the habit of asking themselves why. Especially when things move so quick, like for Vitacoco, we're still a very entrepreneurial company. We move so fast. We get things done so quickly. So having the you know, ability to step back and say, but why does this make sense? Why are we doing this? Why is this solving the problem? Um, just makes us a little more thoughtful and I think more confident in our decisions. You're navigating your career within the beverage industry, even your past experience as well. 
No doubt it's an industry that is primarily dominated by men. Can we talk a little bit about your experience as a young female leader? Yes. So throughout all my experiences, I've been exposed to these environments that, like you said, are dominated by men and sometimes mostly older men. So with this goes a lot of bro culture, a lot of peacocking, a lot of feeling that unless you're part of this boys club, you're not going to be able to get ahead. So as a young woman in this environment, I think it was really easy for me to feel like I didn't belong or that I would never be the boss and I would never be in a leadership position. And I would often question, how can I get ahead without compromising my authenticity and my values? And I mentioned before, I was always the type of person to put their head down and get their work done and let the work speak for themselves versus puffing up my chest and trying to portray this character that didn't feel true to me. Um, I wasn't one of the guys and I also wasn't one of the girls trying to be one of the guys. So with that came a lot of self-doubt and I think there was definitely some imposter syndrome happening, but ultimately I put my head down. I built the right relationships and I communicated my confidence and my ability to do a good job on a one-to-one level. And I think that made me more comfortable in the long run. And when I landed back in Vitacoca and was offered this leadership position, I had to acknowledge that it wasn't because I was lucky and it wasn't because it was random and they needed someone desperately. It was because I deserved it, because I made an impression. And that created a lot of confidence for me. So I think what I've learned in this experience is fake it till you make it. People say that all the time. And I truly believe it because at the end of the day, none of us know what we're doing. We're just trying to do the best that we can. So you can fake it till you make it, but you can't fake competence. So that's what's going to set you apart in the end. Not, you know, how many times you raise your hand in a meeting or how loud you are or how much of a presence you are in a room. But when everything falls quiet, like who do, who do they remember? And I wanted to be remembered for the work. Do you feel that your experience changed at all in navigating this industry throughout your roles? Like when you became director, was it easier, more difficult? Was there a shift? I'd say I, I'm i more confident now. So it's a little easier, but you still have to prove yourself constantly. So... When you're in some of these environments, you know, you feel like they don't they don't believe me. I don't belong here. They're not paying attention. They don't take what I say seriously. You have to command that respect. Right. So I think that's something that as women, we have to remind ourselves of no one's going to do it for us. Right. And there's a power in that. I can command that respect. You also mentioned earlier that you're an introvert. How can an introvert navigate this it is introverts are so many different forms too i don't think there is like a one size fits all for for Mm -hmm. that category and i feel a lot of times it's very like misinterpreted but as somebody who it is not supernatural to get out there to be the stronger voice in the room to network how do you recommend going about that or what practices to kind of make you better at that? For me, it's been really valuable to prepare. So if it doesn't come as naturally to me on the fly, practice your presentation first. 
Do the research on the questions you should ask. Have conversations with your peers or other people who have been in these situations before and get advice and tips from them. And I think opening yourself up and being a little vulnerable and acknowledging the fact that it doesn't come easy to you um, makes you work a little harder for it. So I think you said it perfectly, like an introvert. What does that even mean? There's so many different forms of being an introvert. So you probably know more of them than you think. And there are probably more people in the room that feel just the way that you do. And we're our own harshest critics. I know I absolutely am vicious on myself. Um, but just be a little vulnerable. Via our hotline, uh, hotline at buybaba.com, we receive a lot of questions regarding career shifts, entering an industry with no previous experience, etc. What advice do you have for those looking to enter the field of marketing without prior background? So marketing is very broad. There's so many different things you can do. Media, creative marketing, performance marketing. Um, so I think regardless of what background or previous experience you had, whether that's sales, finance, consulting, you can find the right niche within the marketing organization or field. So I'd say do the research, find what type of roles align with your previous experience and what type of companies align with your passions and what you're interested in. That goes back to the theme I said before of you need to be interested in what you're doing. That's one of the reasons I love Vitacoco so much. I genuinely love the product and I love the brand and I couldn't do the job I'm doing unless I did. I, I would feel like a fraud if I was trying to market something that I didn't love. So say find what you're passionate about, find what you're interested in, um, do your research and talk to people. Find people that are doing a job that you think might be interesting to you or might be well-suited to your skill set and talk to them. Have the conversations. But I, I think not that it's easy to get into marketing from in a different um, background, but I think you can definitely find your own niche. What is the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? So my dad used to say to me, say yes to the scary stuff. Always put yourself outside your comfort zone. Um, failure is inevitable. Success is fleeting. But at the end of the day, you know, you're always going to come out stronger on the other side. So I'd say that has probably been the most valuable piece, piece of advice that I've received, not only professionally, but personally, because it applies to both. Um, you know, we are creatures of comfort and want to stay stable. But all those little things that happen, while they might feel like the worst thing in the world at the time, are going to make you such a stronger, more um, versatile, more resilient person. And I think resilience is such a strong like, value and, and characteristic of, of really amazing leaders because it's not always easy. Our final question. You are out of office. What do you do with your day? So even when I'm out of office, I'm usually still connected, which is a really, really bad habit that I'm trying to break. Um, so let's say that on this out-of-office day, my phone is nowhere in sight. I'm most likely starting the day by treating myself to a workout class. I'm very into rumble these days. I think the punching and the loud music helps. And then I'm probably uh, catching up with friends, which will start as one glass of wine and inevitably turn into four glasses of wine because I'm very much known for one more. They call me one more finazzo. Um, and yeah, I think relationships are everything to me. Connecting with the people that I love and taking care of people is so 
critical to my own happiness and fulfillment. So if I have free time, I'm probably doing that. I'm also on the wait list for a puppy. So if you were to ask me that in a few months, my answer might be very different. Thanks for joining my conversation with Allison. Be sure to follow her marketing efforts on Instagram at VitaCoco and check out their website at www.vitacoco.com. Thanks again for tuning in to the Out of Office podcast. Hit subscribe to keep up with us and of course, rate or share with a friend. We'd like to open up to our hotline for a few career-related questions with Baba. For a chance to have your career questions answered in upcoming episodes, email us at hotline at bybaba.com. Any advice for people who feel stuck in their career and or business? I think ask yourself, what is it that is making you feel stuck? Is it that you have... Sometimes we put pressure on ourselves based on external expectations that maybe are not relevant anymore. Um, so are you stuck because you're not getting a promotion or are you stuck because you're really feeling like your wings are being cut? Um, I think that's a huge difference. Not every career path equals ongoing promotions, but I think having a sense of ease and a sense of excitement of going to work is important. So trying to unfold what it is that is making you feel stuck is the key here. How do you get out of a creative rut? I always just go for a walk, honestly. I think it's really hard to force yourself to continue to sit by uh, a screen when you're in a creative rut. I think the best thing to do is to just shock yourself out of the situation. So whether that's doing a workout or taking your dog out for a walk or doing a quick meditation. Um, and I also try to have times in the day when I don't have my phone like I have my phone still in the bag I don't have my email tab up just don't allow any notification driven services to kill your creativity how can one begin to create contacts in an industry where they have no contacts currently I think events are great. Honestly, I attended so many events in the early days of my career. It's such a great way to meet people, get insight into different areas of, um, of industries that you might be interested in. So whether it's attending panels or even just like store openings. Like if you live in New York, there's so many things happening all the time and just talk to people. How do you manage work-related stress? I try to set boundaries for when I allow myself to be in work mode versus not. Um, for instance, I very rarely bring my work home in the sense that you will never find me with my laptop on emails in my bed. I, I have a no laptop policy in our bedroom. Uh, so I think creating those boundaries that you can always fall back on are really important. Um, also regularly, routines are so crucial. I have said this before, but I've yet to met a successful person who does not follow routines. Um, for me, working out in the morning is the, the biggest solution to work-related stress. 
How do you stay motivated? This is a tricky question. I I think I I get motivation from like feeling like I'm I'm growing as a person. I I realized lately that I'm I'm not super money driven and I'm not driven by the idea of like being right or doing the right thing. I'm more so motivated by this idea of a growth mindset. Like what are the what are ways for me to challenge myself and and how do I grow as a person? What are your thoughts on unpaid internships? I find unpaid internships a little bit problematic. Um, it's So here's the thing. If it's part of your education program, like school credits, I think it's one thing because we're not getting paid to go to school anyway. So if it's part of the school program, that's one thing. But if you're graduated and you're looking for internships and the companies you're applying for are only looking for unpaid interns, I find that to be problematic because... You already did your school time. You should start to get paid. And I also think that it creates this, it continues to create the inequalities that we're seeing, especially in the creative field and in fashion. It's really hard for someone from an unprivileged background to get into fashion when there is an army of unpaid people willing to take the job. Out of office is not just a conversation with our guests. It's also a conversation with you. Send us your career questions to hotline at buybaba.com and we'll answer them in our upcoming episodes. This podcast was produced by Tinka Media and music was brought to you by Blue Dot Sessions.